Well, good morning, and let me just once again welcome those of you who are our guests or newer to fellowship, welcome. We're glad that you're here and hope already that you have been blessed just by being a part of our worship service where we have been making much of the God that we love and serve and worship. We now move into the time of preaching and teaching the Word of God, which is a very important time in our gathering where we submit ourselves to the authority of the scriptures, and we do so gladly uh, because we recognize that this is the revelation of God. It is his word to humanity, and we need to hear from God. And so we are, uh, as a church, what we're doing is we're going through uh, different books of the Bible. We're in the book of Joshua right now. It's Old Testament book, and uh, we're going to continue on uh, in that and just see what the Lord has for us. And today, we're going to see, as we look at the text that was just read, we're going to see how God leads his people, how God leads his people. And if I, if I asked you a question, if I said, how does God lead you? I'm sure you asked for God's leading in your life. Well, how would you explain to someone how God leads you? How would you respond to that? And I would expect that you may say, well, uh, he, he leads me through, through prayer as I, as I pray to him and then through his word as he reveals truth to me. And those are, those are good answers. And God does lead us through prayer and, and, and his word uh, as, as we read it. But typically that is more about our heart, our attitudes, our approach, things within us that need to change as God is forming us, the spirit is making us into the likeness of Christ. But how does God lead you more specifically in your daily aspects of life? Just the daily things that you do. And this might be surprising uh, to, to some of you, but many times God leads us through the leadership of people that God has put into our lives. Yes, we are all followers of Christ. We talk about that all the time. Christ followers. But without leadership, individual followers may lay out their own path of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And, and according to his word, and, and even what we will see today, that does not display him best. Because he has called a people. He hasn't called individuals, he's called a people, a group, a body. And we are to be in motion together serving the Lord and to do that well, according to God's design, it requires leadership. Leadership that, that coalesces people together, working together, pulling in the same direction. And so you might hear that and think, well, that's a corporate America idea, but it's not. It's actually God's idea. It's God's design for how he works and how he leads. And today, what we're going to see as we continue on, we, we start right in the beginning of Joshua, and we even look back to Deuteronomy to see kind of how it led. But we're going to see Joshua begin to demonstrate leadership of the people of God. And here's, here's the thing. It's good that Joshua is leading. It's, it's a blessed thing for the people that Joshua is leading well. And I'll ask you again, how is God seeking to lead you? What kind of leader are you? In whatever area of life you're in, 
What kind of follower are you? Let me challenge you to consider this. God will guide and will direct you through the leadership of people around you. And yes, you must be discerning in following that. But as we put our faith in God, it also requires, and as we see here, it does as well, we put our faith in those that he's called to lead us. That was the case for Israel. And it is the same for us today as we continue and desire to be good followers of the Lord Jesus. So I'm going to pray and ask God to lead us as we submit to his word. Lord God, we thank you for the fact that you are, the, you are king, you are Lord. This is your church, your body. We are all in submission to you. We also thank you for the way that you have organized your church, put it together, designed it. We see that even reflected in the, in the scriptures, and we see that even, Lord, as we look today in the Old Testament of how you led your people. So speak to us, Lord, I pray, through your word, and may we all receive truth and understanding from, from your word, from your truth, and how you lead us and how we should respond. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. So what we've seen so far in the book of Joshua is we've seen God's promise to his people. That's where we started. God was reminding the people what he's going to do and, and, and who he is, how he will be faithful. Last week, we looked at God's instruction to his people. In other words, now he's telling them what they must do. Be strong and courageous. They need to be people of the book, people of the word, faithful people. Now God is going to lead the people. An entire nation. Now, I don't know what you think about when you think of the nation of Israel being on the one side of the Jordan, getting ready to cross over. I don't know if you're thinking, oh, I don't know, it's a couple hundred people. The estimates of where the people are at this time is probably around two million people. This is, this is not just, this is not a small congregation. This is a huge group of people that Joshua has been called to lead. So what do we see first? Well, we see his leadership, and we see that Joshua reveals the chain of command here. How does he do that? Well, in verse 10, he commanded the officers of the people. You're probably going, who are, who are those people? Joshua is doing the commanding of the people, but he's taking direction from God. God is leading the people, but he's leading the people through the leadership of Joshua, and he's doing it just as he did with Moses. And notice that Joshua, he doesn't go through the camp himself. As you look at that text, he commands the officers, the shater in the, in the Hebrew. These are, these are designated leaders of the people. And they are going through the camp of about 2 million people, when you talk about men and women and, fam and, and children. And they are also working with the elders and the leaders of the tribes, announcing what the people are about to do. So, so this is an organizational effort. This is, this is an organized leadership approach here with the people. This isn't chaotic. It isn't just Joshua yelling through a megaphone. I hope everybody can hear me. 
This isn't even, well, I'm just going to kind of wing it and see how the spirit leads. No, this is organized. This is Joshua going to the officers who are going to the elders who are leading the tribes and making sure that this information goes out to the people. Then what, what is the message? Well, the next thing we see is preparation. People must prepare to cross the Jordan and enter the promised land. You see that again in verse 11. Prepare your provisions for within three days you're going to pass over the Jordan to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Notice that the people are to prepare their own provisions. The leaders aren't doing this for the people. The people are doing this for the people. They are to prepare their own provisions of food and clothing. And and notice that their preparation must match the mission. Right? They're not just prepared. They're not preparing to go to the beach. Right? So, you know, don't bring the chairs and the umbrella. Like, you're going across a river into hostile territory. Prepare for that. That's what you're preparing for. And they're being commanded to be prepared to follow through on what God has called them to do. This is, this, this command really entails a whole lot here of what Joshua is asking of them. And that little phrase that you see there, the three days, is, is probably a, a similar to our reference when we say, oh, you know, a few days ago, I don't know if if you're like me, but I use a few days for almost every time period. It could be like two years ago, and I'll be like, a few days ago, and Stephanie will be like, Mark, that was like four years ago. Like, (laughs) you know, you get the point, right? Was it now? And it's not the future. It was sometime in the past, (laughs) right? A few days ago. So this is, because you're going to see this three days several times in, in, uh, in this text. But the people must be responsible for their families in making sure that they are ready and prepared. So what you see here is personal responsibility among the people. The leaders aren't taking that kind of responsibility to do the preparation. They're making sure that the command goes out to be ready, but the people must do the preparing themselves. And then we see the participation. Special instruction is given here to three tribes, Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. And I may say those words and names, and you might not have any idea who I'm talking about. And some of you may know exactly. And I want to speak to both groups. We see that in verses 12 through 15. Notice what Joshua says to these tribes. Probably through the officers and the elders. He says in verse 12, to remember what Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. So, what did Moses command these specific tribes? Now, here's what we need to do, because this book is going to require us to do this probably more than just this week. We're probably going to do it again. We are going to have to go back in the story, because we need to understand the context. And and for you to understand who these tribes even are, Especially when it's mentioned the half-tribe of Manasseh, you might go, what what is that all about? I don't understand that. We need to go back even further for that. So here's what I want to do. I want to take you back to Genesis chapter 48. We're going to do some explaining, and then we're going to come back to Joshua 1. So Genesis chapter 48, Jacob, 
is, 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 is the person in mind here. He's also referred to as Israel in, uh, in, in, in this chapter because that is a name that God gave to him. Well, Jacob is dying. Now, Jacob, you may go, if, if you don't know who Jacob is, he is the son of Isaac and he is the grandson of Abraham. So Abraham had Isaac and Isaac had Jacob. And so now Jacob is dying in Genesis 48. He's old. And his son Joseph, who's the one that was sold into slavery, Joseph is coming to Jacob and he's bringing his two sons. And he wants his two sons to be blessed by Jacob. Now, Joseph has two sons here, Manasseh, who's the older one, and Ephraim, who's younger. Now, Jacob is going blind. He can't see very well. So what Joseph has to do is he has to put his sons in front of Jacob. And he does so, the scripture tells us in Genesis 48, in a very, very specific way. He puts Manasseh, the older one, on Jacob's right. And he puts Ephraim, the younger, on Jacob's left. Now, you might wonder, well, what's, what's that about? Well, because the, it's the right hand of blessing for the, for the older one, right? So he puts Manasseh there. Joseph then bows himself to the ground with his face to the earth, the scripture tells us, and Jacob then put his right hand on Ephraim and his left hand on Manasseh, which was the opposite of what Joseph wanted him to do and the opposite of what he expected him to do. And to do this, Jacob would literally have to cross his arms. And then he would pray, uh, and he did, he did, he prayed a prayer of blessing. Here, I'll put up a, a photo for you to give you an example. This isn't actually Jacob with, you know that, right? Like, it's not Jacob with Manasseh and Ephraim, but it's a, it's a rendering to give you an idea of, of what jo- Joseph did and how Jacob intentionally crossed over hands. So when Joseph realized what was happening, he said, no, father, not this way. And he attempted to switch his father's hands because he wanted to make sure that Manasseh, the older one, would get the blessing. And then Jacob responded in Genesis 48, 19. And he said this, put it up here on the screen for you to see. I know my son, I know. He, Manasseh, also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother Ephraim shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. Ephraim became the most powerful and influential of the ten tribes in the northern kingdom after the death of Solomon. This is what Jacob is talking about here. This is why Manasseh is referred to as a half-tribe. It's because he was one half of the tribe of Joseph. So you have the 12 tribes, which are the sons of Jacob, but Joseph got two because he got the blessing. And it was split between Manasseh and Ephraim. And so when you see this half-tribe, don't think, oh, the other half of the tribe is somewhere else. No, it's, it's the half-tribe of Joseph. Now, I want you to notice also the divine sovereignty of God in choosing Ephraim for blessing. If that bothers you, like if you're like, I don't like that. I don't know. God should have really been fair about that. I'll just say this. You're going to have a lot of trouble with a lot in this book. (laughs) A lot. 
This happens so often. We're what we call divine sovereignty. God divinely chooses. And what he chooses is right and good. And so he has chosen here to bless Ephraim. And again, the scripture is filled with examples of this. Now, we're still not fully to where we need to be. So more explanation. That explains, that helps you understand the tribes a little bit with this this half-tribe thing. Now, when Joshua said, remember what Moses said in Joshua 1, what specific time is Joshua talking about? Well, we're going to find that story in Numbers chapter 32. So a little, a little Old Testament survey today. We okay with that? I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> Israel has already wandered for 40 years. They now have a second chance to enter the promised land. They're going to do this the right way. Can you imagine that feeling of, you know, when you mess something up the first time and you're redoing it and you're like, I got to get it right. I don't want to have to go through all these steps in. Just imagine 40 years later, a generation has passed, died. You get a second chance to do this the right way. You're kind of thinking, let's not mess this up. Right? We're going to do this the right way. Okay, so they're getting ready to go in. We're going to do this the right way. We've learned our lesson. Numbers 32, verse 5, some of the leaders of the tribes of Reuben and Gad, these tribes with lots of people, these leaders now go to Moses in Numbers 32. And here's what they asked Moses in verse 5. If we have found favor in your sight, let this land that we're in now be given to your servants for a possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. Not a great request. These tribes, Reuben and Gad, which also includes the, the tribe of Manasseh, as we'll see, what, what's, what's unique about these tribes is, is they have a lot of livestock, lots of animals, and they need space for these animals. Now, you're, when you're talking about uh, you know, two, two million people, you're talking about hundreds of thousands within these tribes, you could imagine the, the animals. So they need the right kind of land. And apparently, these tribal leaders have got, got together and said, you know, the east side of the Jordan, which you can kind of see on the map there, uh, the, the breakdown of, of the land with the tribes. And you see the Jordan River north of the Salt Sea, south of the Sea of Kinnereth. And so they're on that east side. And they're, they're finding this land to be suitable for for what they need. It seemed perfect for them. So they want to stay there. They don't want to go across the Jordan. Now, can you imagine Moses' reaction to this? Are you kidding me? Are you serious? Here we go again. Another 40 years. We're going to mess it up again. You don't want to, are you literally asking me, can we not cross the Jordan? Do you realize what we've done for the past 40 years? Is that really what you're asking? Moses gets hot about this. And he says in verse six, now you put the tone in there, whatever tone. Shall your brothers go to the war while you sit here? I mean, that Moses is kind of laying it out there. 
Shall your brothers go to the war while you sit here? Will you, verse 7 is even more impactful, will you discourage the heart of the people of Israel from going into the land that the Lord has given to them? In other words, your, your decision, your question, your desire to remain on this side is discouragement to the entire group. Why is Moses thinking that way? Because Moses is thinking like a leader. He hears the request of one and thinks, how is this going to affect everybody? And he's interpreting that and he's going, do you realize the discouragement this is going to bring? He reminds them, if you keep reading in Numbers 32, I don't have time to go through that chapter, but you can add it to your reading list as we're going through this book. He reminds them about the 40 years. He reminds them about the entire generation. He talks about Joshua and Caleb uh, being the only ones who survived. He's like, do we really want to repeat this? But this is the kind of thing that, re- that, that gets leaders heated, right? It's when you are working towards something for all these years, and then as soon as you're ready to kind of take the step, doubt creeps in or reasons for not taking the step creeps in. So the leaders of these tribes, what happens is they make a promise to Moses. They can see Moses is not too happy about this. Verse 16, Numbers 32. We will build sheep folds here for our livestock, cities for our little ones. We're gonna take up arms, but we will take up arms, verse 17, to go before the people of Israel until we've brought them to their place and our little ones shall live in the fortified cities. Because of the inhabitants of the land, we will not return to our homes until each of the people of Israel has gained his inheritance. So they they seem to say, okay, we we heard you, Moses. If you agree to give us this land, we're going to make sure to send warriors from our tribes to fight with the rest of Israel. And they're not going to stop fighting with you, Moses, until every tribe of Israel is in the land that God promised to them. So it's not just about us. It's about the whole, the whole group we have in mind. We're going to make sure that they're fighting until everyone is where God said they should be. Moses agrees to this. And in verse 23, he gives them a warning. If they do not hold to their promise. He says in verse 23, but if you will not do so, if you don't do what you say you're going to do, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. That, that, what, what Moses is saying in there is you can be certain there will be consequences. So in other words, if you don't do what you said here, don't say, you know, I know we promised that a few years back. Things have changed. It's not the same anymore. That's not going to work. Because what Moses is saying is, it's sin. It's not things changed. It's not, it's not well, you're not feeling good anymore. It's you sinned because you promised and now you're not doing it. And it's sin and you can be sure there will be consequences. That's what he's saying. Then notice what Moses does in verse 28. He has what we all love, the dreaded leadership meeting. Right? That's a leadership meeting. It's a meet. Well, maybe they're not dreaded for you. They're not dreaded in in our church, right, staff? (laughs) Amen. Um, Leadership meeting, verse 28, Moses gave a command concerning them to Eleazar the priest. He's got the priest represented. Joshua, the son of Nun, Joshua's there. And to the heads of the fathers, houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. That's a lot of people. 
This is a leadership group that Moses is meeting with, and he's giving them the command. In other words, he's leading. He's leading the leaders of the people. And he's telling Eleazar and Joshua, and here's what he says in verse 29. If the people of Gad and the people of Reuben, every man who's armed to battle before the Lord, will pass over with you to the Jordan, and the land shall be subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead for a possession. However, if they will not pass over with you armed, in other words, if they renege on what they promised, if they don't do what they said, they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. In other words, they're not getting that land east. They're going with us, and they're taking the inhabited land. Now, I explained all of that because this is what Joshua is referring to in Joshua 1, 13. So when you read Joshua 1, if you have none of that in mind, you're not going to have any idea what he's talking about. You're going to be like, remember what word that you said to Moses? And you see that in verse 13, Joshua 1. Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, almost the same language. Look at that. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock. That's almost exactly like what we just read in Numbers 32. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them. So when, when Joshua said, remember, he is speaking of this very specific situation and this conversation that he was a part of. He was at that leadership meeting with Moses. He remembers hearing. So Joshua has remembered what his leader told him before he died. Joshua is doing the job of leading the people. This is what we would say is excellent leadership, what he's doing here. He's doing exactly what Moses had told him to do when he gathered these other people, and he's reminding the, the people today of this, what happened before. He's preparing them to go across the Jordan. He reminds these three tribes, don't forget the agreement. You will send your men of valor, and only after all of us have the land will those men go back to east of the Jordan. So how do the leaders of these tribes respond. Because now we're, you know, in Joshua 1, in the present, in Joshua 1, how are they going to respond? Well, because it's one thing to lead. It's another to see how people respond to your leadership, right? It's, they're, they're not the same. Leading and the response to leadership are, you know, they, they, don't, they don't always go together well. You hope they do. But what we see here is a response of unity and commitment in verse 16. And they answered Joshua. Now, you might think they there, if you're not understanding the context, you're going to think that might be everybody, but it's not. The, that, that is the, the leaders of these particular tribes. They answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. So what these leaders of, the, of these tribes are saying is, we pledge total and complete devotion to you, Joshua. No wavering whatsoever. They were unified with Joshua. They were unified to the agreement. They will do what Joshua commands. They will go wherever he sends them to go. You think back to Moses when he had that leadership meeting in Numbers 32. This is what he hoped for. He wouldn't be there to see it. But this is what he hoped for. This is why he led well. So that when this time came... This would happen. 
When he asked Joshua and Eleazar to remember the promise in Numbers 32, so they remain committed, there will be no division among the people as they cross the Jordan and enter the land. And then the people seem to make a conditional promise to Joshua. Verse 17, they say, just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. So what is that conditional promise that they're making? We're going to follow you. We're going to follow you. You're the leader. We're going to obey you as long as God is with you as he was with Moses. What, what they're saying is they want to see that the evidence of God with Joshua in the same way that God was with Moses. And I think this kind of conditional promise, if you will, seems to apply to even people leading the people of God today, whether in churches or ministries, organizations, as long as you're continuing to follow God and his word, we will follow you. As we continue to see evidence of God's presence, your commitment and faithfulness to God, we will follow. And when they communicate their agreement, also as they talk about this agreement, they then move to the agreement of the consequence of disobedience in verse 18. And what is that consequence? Whoever disobeys will be put to death. These tribe leaders are not going to tolerate insubordination. They're not going to tolerate dissension. They recognize what dissension is going to do, not to their tribes, but to the whole group. And then they commit to Joshua what he's been asking of them. Be strong and courageous. They literally say that to him. Joshua has demonstrated godly, courageous, and wise leadership. And the people are willingly following in faith. And God is blessing the nation as a result. And what a blessing it was for Joshua to hear the people repeat back to him what he's been telling them. That's when a leader really knows that things are getting through. When you kind of hear the same language of how you're leading is then being repeated and understood. And that's what happens here. These leaders literally say, only be strong and courageous. Well, where'd that come from? That came from what God was telling Joshua and what Joshua was telling the people. So God blesses this kind of approach. I put it together on the screen here, kind of like formulaic, but faith, godly, faith-filled leadership followed by people willing to follow in faith equals unity and the blessing of God. We see that here, and we see that also today, even, in churches, organizations. Now, we're going to pick up in the story next week, in the narrative next week, because the people are now going to prepare to cross, and they are going to go to Jericho's, the first place they got to deal with, and they need to send spies into the enemy territory And we're going to look at that whole story. So I'll encourage you to read Joshua chapter 3 this week in preparation for what we'll be talking about next week. I want to give you now just some last things for us to think about. I want to give you two qualities of godly leadership and two qualities of godly followers that I think are evidenced from this text. So I'll go back to the question I asked you earlier. Do you want to be a godly leader? 
Now, maybe you say, well, Pastor, I'm not a leader. I'm not, I'm not in any kind of leadership role. Like, I'm not in a leadership role in the church. I'm not a leadership role in my workplace. Um, well, maybe even in your home. Do you want to be a godly leader in your home? Wherever God has you, I'll give you two qualities here. The first one is godly leaders get their direction from God. Joshua knew his boss was God. And it was God that he took direction from. And he led accordingly. He didn't pull the people. It wasn't a people pull. It was a communion with God. How, God, do you want me to lead your people? And he got his direction from the Lord. Second, godly leaders are willing to make difficult decisions with the mission of God in mind. Godly leaders are willing to make difficult decisions with the mission of God in mind. Just imagine being in Joshua's you know, shoes or sandals or whatever he wore. Can you imagine the order from Joshua to the officers and leaders of this, this massive group of people? Just the leadership group is huge. And he, and he stands before this leadership group and he tells them something Moses was never able to tell them. Get ready, we're going in. Talk about, talk about fear of a leader in saying, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna be the one to do this, I'm gonna be the one to lead these people. But he's recognizing that God is the one leading him. We're doing something Moses never did. If, he, if this doesn't go well for Joshua, he's, he's probably, his leadership tenure is probably over. This is not an easy decision. You say, well, yes it is, because pastor, did you read the text? God told him to do it. Well, I know that. <laughs> but I'm talking about the human side of things, right? We, we know what God says all the time. It's right here, right? We know what he says, and then we got to go play it out in life. We're like, oh, it's not that easy. He led here with the mission in mind. And that's what godly leadership does. Now, what about godly followers? Because godly leaders need godly followers, and godly followers need godly leaders. So, two qualities. First one, godly followers are willing to subordinate their individual preferences for the benefit of the whole. Godly followers are willing to subordinate their individual preferences for the benefit of the whole. I'm pretty sure there were in this large, large crowd of people, some Israelites who just said, you know what, I don't think it's time for us to go. Not yet. The water's too high this time of year. It's not really the best time to cross the Jordan. We should wait. You know, there's a lot of things happening right now in our tribe that aren't good. We've got to fix those things, get them right. Let's just hold off. But to resist the timing would be to hurt the unity of the camp. That's why, that's why Moses said to these leaders, don't you realize that you're going to discourage the heart of the people? So they prepared to go. And a healthy church is filled with people willing to subordinate their personal individual preferences for the benefit and good of the church as a whole. And I can tell you the opposite 
leads to uh, uh, unhealth, not, not healthy at all. When everybody is elevating personal preference over the good of the whole, you will have division, dissension, lack of unity, no power, and probably not moving anywhere. And I'll say it's the same with the family. In your family, you want a healthy family? It's filled with family members, especially under one roof. Family members who are living under one roof, not necessarily extended family in different households, but families living under one roof, they need to be willing to subordinate their own preferences for the benefit of the family. And what a, what a tremendous thing for parents to teach their kids early. That, that truth will benefit them not just in the family, but it's going to benefit them in the workplace, it's going to benefit them in the church, it's going to benefit them in their own family later on. Second, godly followers see great blessing in unifying together in the common mission of God. Godly followers see the blessing of coming together in the common mission of God. You know, the only thing for Israel to do here was to unify together as one in what God was calling them to do. That was the only thing for them to do. Just come together as one. Let's do what God said. Cross the Jordan, take the land. To do anything else for any reason at all any reason at all was nothing other than disobedience to God. But what about the guy who has a great idea? We should go east first. There's some more land we can clear out. And I heard that there's some pagan cities there that are really hungry for God. Let's go win them, them over. Then we'll go do this. You see, we could come up with a lot of really good reasons to not do what God is saying to do. The only thing for them to do was to get prepared to cross the Jordan and go in. That was the mission. The only thing for us, the church of Jesus Christ to do, is to unify together as one in our mission of making the good news of Jesus Christ known. Let's unify in that as a church. We're going we're gonna to make the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ known. We're going to do that to our community, to our region, to our state, to our country, and to our world. And we're going to be unified in that. And I'm not going to elevate what I think should be number one to take away from that. I'm going to be a part of that and believe that God is going to work in and through that. And I believe he does powerfully as we continue to do that. So we see here a great example of godly leadership and even godly followers. And as we go through, you can read ahead. It's okay to read ahead in the Bible because I'm not going to say, you know, don't read ahead. But you, if you read through the book of Joshua, you'll see what, these, what, what, what happened with these tribes and what they actually, what, what they actually did. And it, it's, it's a good thing because they followed through. Um, some say that not to the degree that they probably should have. That may be uh, another question, but they they did, they did follow through on sending uh, thousands, uh, tens of thousands of warriors uh, across the river to go with the nation uh, to do what they had promised to do here. So ultimately, we pray for God to lead us as a church. Amen? As a church, I think that's so important for you to hear and know and understand. You have church leadership here, pastors, elders, but we are, we're simply seeking to follow the leading of how God wants to lead this church. He is the one 
who is ultimately in charge. We submit to him gladly. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your love of your people. Thank you for the way that you lead your people, lead us, lead each person here, Lord. Thank you for the leaders that you put in place around us, Lord, that are sometimes not ones that we get to be a part of even deciding, but we trust, Lord, that as you work and move and as sovereign and providential as you are, Lord God, we pray that you would work through the leaders that you have in place. I pray, Lord, for the leaders of this church, each one of them, Help us, Lord, to get our direction first and foremost from God, to be in submission to God in our own lives individually, for our ministry leaders, for every person who's in a place of any kind of leadership, Lord, may we lead with humility, grace, and a desire ultimately to serve the Lord. We thank you, God, that you go before us just as you went before the nation of Israel. Continue to go before us as a church, as we continue to commit ourselves to you. In Christ's name, amen.